Lord, we uh, thank you that you have preserved your word for us. We thank you that you have uh, given it to us, that, that we don't have to guess and speculate as to who you are, what you have done, and how you call us to respond to you. Uh, thank you that you have spoken and you have made it clear. God, thank you for the privilege that we have right now in this moment to gather together as a community and to hear your word. We ask that you would help us, God, by your spirit, that we would be, uh, our hearts would be receptive soil uh, to, to the word uh, of Jesus for us this morning. God, would you, uh, right now, would you give us a, a, a disposition of humility, that we would be humble and contrite, that we would tremble under the authority and truthfulness of your word? God, that we wouldn't come uh, to your word to seek to, to master it, but, but to be mastered by it, not, not just to gain information, but God, that you would produce transformation, that you would do these things in our lives, in our hearts, through the power of your word, by your Holy Spirit, because God, we are not able to do any of those things. And so we ask for your help. We ask that you would meet each one of us right where we are, and you would lead us closer to Jesus that Jesus' name would be lifted up in this place today. And ultimately, God, we pray that for all the churches across Boston that are preaching uh, the gospel. We want, we want uh, you to bless not just what is happening here, but across all the churches in the city, that Jesus would be made famous here in this city. He would be worshiped, he would re be revered, he would be trusted, and he would be obeyed, he would be followed. So we pray you would do this for your glory and for the good of us and for the good of Boston. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So this week, um, I had one of those moments, I'm sure many of you have had them before, uh, where you're kind of doing something, and then you just don't know why, but you kind of click open another browser, and then you find yourself like, like oh, I'm on Facebook again, like, wow, that, how, how did this happen? Um, I had one of those moments um, of just distraction, and, and what, what was presented right in front of me uh, was a, a new movie trailer uh, for The Avengers. Um, Somehow they continue to make these movies. And so when I saw that, uh, when I, in that moment of distraction, I saw that clip for the, the new Avengers trailer, uh, my immediate thought was, how many times are they going to save New York City from invading aliens and buildings? Are gonna blow? I've, like, I've seen this movie, ten, I think, maybe 10 times already, right? <laughs> Just with, with different people in different costumes. Um, I've, I've seen this already. Uh, That's why Wonder Woman, for many reasons, was so great. It was, it was different. It wasn't just the same thing that we've seen over and over. And so I saw the, the Avengers trailer right in front of me and kind of was like, uh, I'm, I'm just distracting myself. Do I really want to click on this? I know New York's going to blow up and they're going to come and the aliens and the same thing. But I clicked on it. And so I clicked on it, and so I started to watch it, and, you know, at, at first, like, oh, good grief, like, this is two minutes, like, I'm going to waste two minutes of my life here. And, uh, and then, and then uh, <laughs> by, by about the end of the video, I feel myself, like, getting inspired and emotional <laughs> and kind of like, yes, go, Captain America, go, Black Panther, go, like, defeat the aliens, go, go, go. And, and, and by the end, I, I was kind of hooked. And I think that's, that's such a great uh, embodiment of the power of story. Just the power of story, of just seeing a, a clip, being, having two minutes going from, from being skeptical, why am I watching this, to getting a, a whiff of, of narrative and story, and, and, and seeing like story connects with us at a heart level. Story speaks to the human soul. Story hooks us. Story speaks to us because we are a part of God's world. We're a part of God's story, and story is thus a fundamental heart-level reality 
for every single human being. And that brings us to Advent. That in the season of Advent, we have this wonderful opportunity given to us by the, by the calendar to stop for a moment and to ask ourselves, are we living under the right story? Are we living in the reality of the right story? Do we understand the story of God that we are invited into? Advent is, is all about looking backwards and forwards. Advent is the celebration of the coming of, of Jesus, looking back to his first coming, how he added humanity to his divinity to enter into the world, to bring the kingdom of God, and to restore broken sinners to the Father. Advent is the looking back to celebrating Jesus' first coming 2,000 years ago and longing and looking forward to Jesus' coming in his return to set all things right in the world. Advent is a time where we remember the story that we're in but we also think about the substitute stories that grapple for our heart level attention and affection. The false stories that grapple for our identity, the false stories that, that grapple for our devotion, and we have this opportunity to, to remind ourselves of the real story and to be anchored in the story of Jesus. That's what Advent is all about. So that's what we're going to look at over the next four weeks. Today we are going to really look at kind of the story on a, on a big picture level and we're going to look at uh, John chapter 1 to get a sense of the story. So I want to invite you to uh, open your Bibles or click your Bible on or merely look uh, slightly up. And we're going to uh, hear from John chapter 1. In order for us to really get a feel for the story, though, for, us, for this to really sink in for us, I want us to do something a little bit different today is I want us to, uh, to read this uh, text together out loud as a community, for us to really hear the words of Scripture in a fresh way, to hear the story uh, in a new way. So uh, you can read from, uh, from up on the screen as we read these first five verses of John's gospel together out loud. I will I'll lead us, and you can follow along. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's God's Word from the Gospel of John. So we think about the Gospel of John, there's a couple of little sidebar things for us to think about. Uh, John was one of Jesus' best friends. He was one of the inner three of the uh, inner 12 of the many other disciples. John is writing here about his best friend, but not only his best friend, he's telling us that there was much more to Jesus than, than simply being uh, an amazing friend. But John has a deep personal relationship with Jesus. We find out in John 20 that, that John is writing the gospel of John in order that we might get a sense of some of the main things that Jesus did in order that we might believe in him and have life uh, both eternal and in the present through faith in Jesus' name. That's why John is writing this gospel. But for us, we, we're trying to situate ourselves in the story of Jesus, to remind ourselves what is really the story of God, what is really the story of the world, what is really the story of our lives truly, and not the substitute stories. And so John 1 can help us understand the story of God, the story that we are in, and to be refreshed in that story or come to see that story maybe for the first time what we have here in John 1 through 5. And there's so much here in these verses. We could reflect on the reality of Christ's nature, that he is the eternal word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was 
God. There are deep truths here about the nature of Jesus, that Jesus has always existed. There was never a point at which Jesus was not. He has always existed. He is eternal, proceeding from the Father, but eternally God. We get the beauty of the Trinity. We could look at the uh, uh, unfold, the rich realities of verse 3, that through him there was nothing that wasn't, that through him he, he made all things, if we want to put it in the most straightforward way. Uh, I like this, this phrase to think of verse 3, that Jesus is the originator. Everything comes from him. He is the OG originator who was, had his hand in all of creation. We could unfold that mystery, that through him uh, there was nothing that was not made or formed without his, his uh, fingerprints or touch upon it. That is the glory of Jesus. Here we start to see how, how excellent Jesus is, even apart from his sacrifice, that he's just the creator of all things. But the real uh, reality that I want us to see, the simple but staggering upshot of these first five verses, is that the story of the world, the story of our lives, the story of your life, is really simply and most fundamentally the story of Jesus. The story of our world, the story of your life, the story of my life is really fundamentally the story of Jesus. Now, why, why is this pivotal? Because uh, we are story-formed beings. And so we live in light of a story. And if we live in light of the wrong story, we will miss or dilute our very purpose and we will miss out on God himself. And so we need to know the story that we are in. And I want, to, want you to see that John is really thinking about story in these verses because of these first couple of words. In the what? Beginning. Now, where have we heard these words before? Yeah, and in the be- we heard in the beginning, in the beginning, right? We heard this in Genesis, in the beginning. John is, John is doing this on purpose. He wants us to understand that, that what Jesus is doing is so fundamental, it is connected, it emerges, it is attached to what we see in Genesis 1. He is showing us that Jesus, the story of Jesus, has to do not just with the story of him being born, but has to do with the story of the whole world, all of creation, the whole cosmos. He is showing us this connection on purpose. Every person who would have read this at this time would have said, in the beginning, whoa, John is putting this on par, showing that, showing us that this has the very same thrust or heart as Genesis 1, that this is the story not just of one man, this is the story of everything. In the beginning. Now, what happened in Genesis 1? This is where this passage becomes really cool for us. What happened in Genesis 1? God does what? He creates, right? Now, how does God create in Genesis 1? He creates by speaking. Now, what is John calling Jesus in John 1? The Word. Do do we see it, right? So John is having fun here. John is saying, hey, in Genesis 1, God created by speaking. But guess who was really doing the work through that speaking? The Word, Jesus. You see it? You see the beauty that's happening here? Do you see how how John is connecting this? Uh, In Genesis 1, God speaks. He said, let there be light. And and in John 1, John says, yeah, that word of speech was really the word, a.k.a. Jesus. That's Jesus, the originator, working in tandem with the Father to create all things. The The story of creation is, in fact, the story of Jesus. And then we get John 5, that Jesus is the light of the world. 
The sense that, that Jesus is the light, the, the life of man, and, and, and he entered into the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. This, too, is calling us back to Genesis, because in Genesis 1, when God is creating, the world is dark. Essentially, uh, uh, it, it is formless. There's, there's nothing in it, and God, God speaks and says, let there be light. And, and so John, in, in verse 5 here, is doing this kind of double entendre. He's showing us two things. He's showing us that, that Jesus was the creator who brought light into an empty and dark world, but Jesus is also the Savior who brings the light of hope and salvation into a morally dark and decaying world. That's what he's showing us. He's showing us the depth and the beauty and the riches of Jesus. But there's more that John wants us to see. This this phrase, the word in John 1, this this is like a Greek philosophical term for his audience. This is, this is the, the idea, what's behind this word is the, is the idea of what is the rationale for life. Behind this word is this idea of logos. What is the purpose, the meaning, the, the principle, the philosophy that is meant to guide life? And, and John is, is, is saying in a way that his audience would immediately hear this and say, whoa, you're saying Jesus is the rationale for life? Jesus is the philosophical key to life? Jesus is the story of the world. Jesus is the story of the human existence. Jesus is the key that unlocks the the reason and the purpose for life. That's what you're saying, John? That's what's behind this word, the word, logos. It's answering the question, what am I living for? What is life for? And at this time, for Greek philosophers, this was highly debated. This is a highly debated, what is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? What is the rationale of life? What is this, this, this logos? What is this, this, this reason for being? And you had two groups at this time that were debating. Philosophical gangs, not doing drive-bys, but doing debates. So you have one group that said, the purpose of life is this. The, pur- the purpose of life is this. We, we have no answers to the purpose of life, but... We ought to be as strict and as disciplined and as moral and as good and devout and kind and generous as we possibly can be. There really are no ways for us to answer this question, but let's just live as good as possible. These were Stoics. But then you had the the rival gang, the rival uh, philosophers who, who said this, who said, well, we also know that we can't quite answer this question. We can't get quite get a concrete answer, but, but, but we don't think we should just do good. We should just follow ourselves, follow our hearts, do as we please, live a full life, uh, party hardy, do, do what needs to be done, live freely because we have no answers. We have the Epicureans. So we had the Stoics and Epicureans and these debates of what really is the purpose of life. And into this searching, into this debate, into all of this talking, John comes and says, let me tell you about my friend and my savior. He's the reason. His story is the story. He is the rationale. He is where you find the answer. He is the key to unfolding the story of life because the story of life is not a philosophy, it's a person. My friend and Savior, Jesus. That's what John is telling us here. Now, this is important for us because we too, like all human beings at all places, all points in times, wrestle with this question. What is the story of my life? What am I living for? Why am I here? What is my purpose? How do I even make sense of this stage of my life right now? We always ask these questions. And we too have our different camps, like the Stoics and Epicureans, 
who have their philosophical debates and struggles to try to figure out what is the answer to this question. We all have these stories that come and challenge or replace the story of Jesus in our lives. And I want us to look at a couple of these stories. I think if you go over one, uh, one slide for me, Carrie. Yep, perfect. These are the different stories that, de- that, that, that uh, drive or compete for our understanding of our purpose, our understanding of our identity, our understanding of our meaning. We have the story of individualism, the story that I am the center of the universe, the story of consumerism, I am what I own. Achieverism, the story that I, I am what I achieve. Story of nationalism, the story that my nation is God's nation. My nation is the story of the world. Moral relativism, the story that we can't know what the story is or what good is. The story of naturalism, this is the story that all that matters is matter. We have the new age story, that our purpose, our reality is found by looking inward to self. We have postmodern tribalism, the story that all that matters is what my small group of people thinks and thinks of me. Right? We have story after story after story. And the tricky part about these stories is that you can latch on to one of these stories for your identity, for your purpose, for your everything in such a way that it happens without you intentionally choosing it. You ever, you ever find this happen to you? Especially with individualism, right? You're, you ever find <laughs> you get in these stretches of life and you realize, I have not thought about anybody in any significant way outside of myself for the last three weeks. You ever realize that? Every decision that I make is driven by me. Or we get in these different spots where we realize that we, we, we face some sort of disappointment in terms of, man, I thought I was going to get that job. I thought I was going to get into that program. I thought we were going to get this house. I thought something, something related to a gaining or achieving the next thing. And then when we do not have it, it, it undercuts us. It crushes us in a way that, that, we, that catches us off guard. And we realize, okay, I was really, really buying into achieving this thing. Right? These stories can, can seep in undetected into our minds and our hearts and, and change how we think about our purpose and our identity and our meaning. And the problem with these stories is not only that, is not only that they do not help us, they do not really lead us to life, but they, they lead us away from, from Jesus who loves us, seeks us, and, and is wanting to lead us into the fullness of life in Him. And notice these stories are so, though they're not all individualism, they are so centered in a small way. I am what I own. I am what I achieve. I am what my group thinks of me. I am tied to my nation. It's so small. It's so self-centered. It's so not what God calls us into. The story of Jesus tells us this, that our story is his story. Our identity is in his grace not what we achieve. Our purpose is not in accumulating a kingdom for self, but in loving others in Jesus' name and building his kingdom. Our story is bigger than ourselves. Our story is the story of Jesus. One example of how we need to face the reality of our substitute stories that vie for our attention and our devotion uh, is, is, this, is this example of a, a man, this was in uh, Britain. He was on top of his profession. He was uh, succeeding, and, and, and part of his, his work, he had a, he had a mentor, uh, a man about 20 or 30 years older than him, who really, uh, the, the younger man looked to him as basically his goal. Like, I, I want to achieve what he achieves. I, I want to, if I could be where he is in 20 to 30 years, like, every, everything would be perfect. 
And so uh, one, one day the, the younger man is, is, is with the older man, um, and, uh, and they're spending time together, um, and they're, they're in the older man's home, and uh, the older man uh, tells the younger man of just this tragedy that's happened in his life that's happened to the woman that he loves. And she, she's died. She's passed away. And the, uh, the, the older man, after he says this to the younger man, the older man just sits and stares at the fire. They're sitting right there in front of this fireplace. And he, he just tells, tells the younger man, and then he just sits and stares in the fire. And the younger man uh, says, says this, As I watched my model, I watched my hero staring into the fire, I suddenly realized he had no answers to the only important questions in life. So it became this moment for the younger man that he realized that, that this person that he was following, that he was striving after, this person really, their everything in such a way was really tied to their, 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 their achievement. It was tied to just this, this moving ahead, just as it was for him. And he realized in that moment that neither of them had any answers to the deep things of life. Neither of them had thought deeply enough or lifted their eyes up enough above the day-to-day to get an answer for the hard questions of life, which is really getting an answer for what story are we in? They hadn't done that. And so we must know what story are we in? And John has in mind for us understanding that we are in the story of Jesus. Verse 5 is really a, an upshot for us to, to really see this, is to really think about the story that we are in and, and how important it is for us to understand the story that we are placed in. And even think about it in this particular way, that when we do not understand the story that we are in, we will live in such a way that we obey a false story. Think about the passage that John is referencing, Genesis, right? He's, he's drawing on that very deeply. It's almost like he has Genesis open next to him as, as God is speaking to him and he's writing John 1. Well, one of the things that happens in Genesis that is great is the creation of the world. One of the things that happens in Genesis that is not so great is the what? The fall. The, the, the entering of sin into God's good and perfect creation. Now think about what happens when sin enters the world through Adam and Eve. There is a voice that comes and that is speaking to them. Because Adam and Eve had believed a certain thing. They were living in a certain story. They were living in God's story. But then a voice comes and tells them a different story. It says this, if we were to, to use a, a, a very um, common paraphrase, the, the voice of, of the tempter, the voice of the enemy, the voice of Satan comes and, and says this to them, says, says, preaches a, a, different, a different story. When they're there and they're being tempted, says something like this, this alternate story. God knows when you eat from that tree, you'll see what's really going on. You'll be just like God, knowing everything, being able to determine good and evil for yourself. That's an alternate story. What is being offered in that story? Being offered in that story is the opportunity to be godlike. What is being offered in that story is the, being the opportunity to define for ourselves everything that we want to. What's being offered in that story is the same thing that Jesus was offered when he was tempted by the same voice, by the same person, when he said, bow to me and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. What was being offered is the opportunity to undercut the authority of God in order to then replace God with ourselves, to live life as our own gods, to live life as our own all-knowing, all-deciding self-autonomous, individualized authority. That is the story that was bought into that brought sin, death, chaos, hunger, evil into this world. 
Do you see how important it is for us to think about what story am I living my life out of? What story do I believe about myself, about the world, and about God? What story is shaping my life? Story matters. So we must ask ourselves this, is Jesus and his story the reference point of my life? What substitute story have I intentionally or unintentionally been buying into over the last season or stretch of my life? What story am I slipping and sliding into? The hard, the hard news for us to, to grapple with it is this, is that like Adam and Eve, we are, we are now, because of the entrance of sin into the world, we are, we are actually hardwired to reject the story of God and to live the story of ourselves as God. All human beings have this incredible skill. We, we come into the world with an incredible skill set. We can create things, we can make things, we can, we, can, we can do a lot of things. But one of the negative parts of our skill set is that we are incredibly skilled at creating our own story with us at the center and God and everybody else out on the margins. That's, that's what it means to have a sinful nature. This is the, the darkness uh, of this world age and the darkness of the human heart. That's essentially what John is talking about there in, in verse 5. And John uses this language describing the, the darkness. He's describing uh, this moral decay of the world that says we're going to undercut God, rebel against God, and construct our own lives, our own authority, and leave God out. That's what he's speaking about when he says darkness in verse 5, this idea of sin, this, this collective mass of people who have rejected the story of God and now elevated themselves as God. He describes it as darkness. He says it's, it's dark, it's evil, it's bad, it's wicked. Now, some of us, when we hear that description of sin and of rejecting God's story, some of us hear that language and, and we think, well, it's not really dark. It's not that bad. It could be worse. We could do worse things. But, but John is using the language of darkness in order for us to really stop and realize that when we buy into a false story and reject the good God who made us and created us, we are actually doing something that according to God, according to John, is morally dark. It is evil. It is corrupt. It is wicked. Now, part of us, we have to move back, and, and because that rubs us the wrong way, we have to understand the logic of it. Think about the relationship between creation and God, and we will understand why rejecting God is evil, is wicked, is this picture of moral darkness. Think about that relationship. What is there in that relationship? There's the, uh, the dynamic of authority. Think of the parallel. Think of, think of why it is so, in a parallel example, think of why it is so, uh, so wrong, why it, it bothers us so much to see a child disobey a mother. Why does that bother us so much? Because the, the mother has done everything for the child. The mother has this dynamic of authority over a child. The mother has a dynamic of provision over a child. And so what the mother deserves it's not being talked back to. It's not getting the super eye roll, the, the like four eye rolls in one. The mother deserves adoration. The mother deserves obedience. The mother deserves some thank yous. The mother deserves a, a Hallmark card or something, right? The mother does not deserve, based on both the dynamic of the relationship, authority, and all that she has done, her actions, her authority and her actions dictate that the child under the mother ought to obey, ought to be grateful, ought to thank, ought to be kind. Do we see it? Now, how much more so is that true then 
of us created by God? How much higher is God's authority over us than the authority of a mother over a child? How much better has God been to us than a mother who provides for a child? Well, God has provided our life. God has sustained our life up until this moment. Well, God has carried us through dark trials and times. Well, God has just been flat out good to us despite all the chaos around us. So now we understand why John would call this rebellion against God, this undercutting of God's story to replace ourselves as God in our own story with us on center stage, why we now understand why he would call it darkness, why he would call it wickedness. But the good news for us is is this. Look at verse 5. John uses these strong terms to describe sin, but then John says something has come into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is good news for us. This is the good news and the hope of Advent. Because the darkness of sin in every single human heart, the rejection of the story of God, the rejection of the rule of God, and the replacement of God with ourselves, that is something that has not been overcome by any human being. You have not overcome it. I have not overcome it. Adam and Eve did not overcome it. Gandhi did not overcome it. Martin Luther King did not overcome it. Nobody overcame this darkness because it's a default part of human nature to reject God's rule and to replace God with ourselves. But now John is telling us there is somebody who has entered into this world of rejecting the story and truth and way of God. Someone has come into this world. Someone has come into this chaos, but they have not been overcome by the sin that has overcome the rest of us. Somebody's come into this this domain and has not been slain by the dragon of sin. Somebody has entered this world and has not bowed their knee to the false story of reject God, make yourself God. Somebody has entered in and has not been overcome by darkness. This is good news for us. This means that this somebody with them also then likely has the key to set us free from our false stories, from our sin, from our brokenness, and from our rejection of the rule of God, which has led to the chaos and decay and evil of the world and can lead us into life. This is the good news of Advent for us. And that person is John's friend and John's Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus says it himself this way later in John. John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. This is good news. This means this darkness is not just the moral reality of sin, but when you're in the dark, do you have any idea where you're going? I mean, how many of you have had a time where you were driving at night and one headlight goes out? How many of you are driving at night when it's a rainy, stormy night, and you have both lights, but you have no windshield wipers going? And you, you may not believe in God, but in that moment, you're like, Lord God, <laughs> I devote my life to you. If you would see me through this drive, right? These moments when we, when we face a reality of when, when we are in the dark, we just don't know what our purpose is. We just don't know where to go. And so Jesus is saying, not only am I the light that, that brings you into salvation, that forgives your sins, that, that heals your, your, your wounds and this false story, but I'm the light that then leads you in the way to go, into purpose, into how to live, into what your, 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 your meaning really is. I am that light. 
This is the good news that we celebrate at Advent, that though the world in its darkness has rejected the story of God wholesale, God loved the world too much to just say, they've rejected me, we're finished, send in the judgment team. No, he says, let's send in the saving team, let's send in the light of the world, let's send Jesus Christ, my own son, to come and to bring the light of the world so that we would be brought into relationship with him and placed in his story. And Jesus achieved this. He beat the darkness. He beat sin. He beat death. He beat evil. He beat Satan. He beat them, not with force, but with love. He beat them not by killing them, but by dying himself. He beat the stronghold of sin over you and myself, by dying in our place. Jesus beat the darkness of the world through substitution by giving himself for our penalty in order to release us from the penalty and the penalty's power over our lives. This means we don't have to buy the false stories anymore. We don't get past our individualism by trying harder. We get past our individualism by seeing that Jesus himself has set us free from it. We get it through trusting in him. Jesus, the light of the world, saves us from our sins, saves us from these false stories, and then he illuminates our purpose to love him and to love our neighbor as ourself according to God's way and wisdom. Saves us from our sins and shows us our purpose. Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the life of men. So this Advent, we are to respond by seeing that light, by trusting in that light, by trusting in him and following him to live out the story of Jesus. We live out that story first by faith in the light that has come for us. And out of that faith, we walk in his footsteps. We seek to love him and to love our neighbor as ourselves according to the wisdom and the ways of God. In trusting Jesus and following Jesus, we step into the story of God, the story of the light of the world, and we begin to push back the darkness of this age through trusting, obeying, and following Jesus Christ. That is the good news for us, now and into eternity. Let's take a moment to pray and reflect on God's word silently. I want to encourage you, Uh, to just in this moment of silent prayer to ask God, how are you calling me to respond to your word? You may consider even asking God, what are the false stories that I am slipping into? And God, draw me back to trust in the story of Jesus. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I would encourage you if you're comfortable with it to, to just ask if you feel comfortable to say, God, if you are real, if you are true, would you show this to me? Take a moment to pray silently and I will lead us in a moment of prayer aloud.